Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 139. Some minutes are better than others. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 18 of Buffy, Intervention, and series 9, episode 11 of Doctor Who, Heaven Sent. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Buffy, uh, first this week, intervention. And mm. um, before we get to the intervention and what it is that Buffy needs to be confronted about, um, I want to start with her and her kind of little vision quest uh, side of the story. Sure. Because it's, in some ways, it's probably the more important story for like the overall arc, but it's not necessarily the one that we spend the most time on. Um, But I don't want to shortchange it because I think we're heading towards the end of the season, right? So we're starting to kind of, you know, get momentum and stuff and i feel like when we have spirit guides giving us prophecies we should probably pay attention to that (laughs) sure so yeah so it starts with uh her conversation with giles and you're kind of getting from the last couple episodes um this continuation of giles looking out for them in like the very kind of you know ordinary taking helping to take care of them sorts of ways of you know sure apparently he cooked dinner for them and is helping them clean up and everything um and so they're still sort of getting back on their feet and there's some talk about uh you know getting how are they feeling are they doing any better are they getting back into the routine and everything um you know and buffy has that line uh about uh you know some minutes or harder than others. Um, so, you know, that kind of ties into some ideas that are interesting for both our episodes this week. Um, but you know, so I want to kind of talk about the conversation she has with Giles and, you know, this worry of Buffy's of what kind of person she's turning into and everything. Um, which is obviously kind of directly caused by her mother's death, but also her fear is that it's not even just about that, that this goes back before that, Um, you know, that she thinks maybe that she drove Angel and Riley away because of, you know, what a cold, hard, unloving person that she is and everything, Um, you know, and it is that kind of thing of, if you're the kind of person who worries that you don't love enough, then probably that's a good sign that you do, you know, the very fact that she's mm. so, uh, you know, hard on herself in that way is, is, you know, indication of the opposite rather than anything else, you know, but the cheap, yeah. but nevertheless, she does have these worries that, you know, strength and resilience, these are words for hardness that there's something that she can't help, but become, sort of hardened towards other people in the process of slaying. Um, Or maybe a fear that with the loss of a loved one, you become so afraid of losing others that you start to push them away and everything. Um, Mm. 
you know, so you kind of have her going out of her way to tell Giles and Dawn that she loves them because, you know, who knows what will happen to any of them tomorrow. Um, sure. Sure. And I mean, there's also a sort of um, similarity, similarity to what she's saying, even to sort of the way that Faith um, went about slaying, right? Was that like... Mm -hmm don't you don't have to worry about other people and that you know uh fate sort of embraced that idea whereas buffy you know here is is maybe saying is you know feeling like maybe that's true and is sort of anxious about the fact that you know that it may be true um so yeah yeah i mean i don't i don't want to dwell too much on on that per se but just to note that it there is a sort of like a faithian uh uh attitude there that maybe she's worried about um that she's taking on right right yeah so so giles has i mean obviously giles kind of tries to you know talk her down out of that you know and kind of say you know this is inevitable it's a difficult time and you're going to feel numb and you shouldn't expect yourself to feel normal but on the other hand, he, he kind of takes it seriously that she has a need for some guidance and has questions that, you know, she wants answers to and everything. And, you know, suggests this vision quest. Um, so they head out to, it's kind of like almost a sequel to Restless. You know, they head back out. It kind of seems like the same desert where she had her dream Um in that episode when she saw the spirit of, you know, the first layer and everything. Um, yeah. And, you know, so even though this kind of form introduces itself as a guide, it doesn't necessarily say it is the first layer, but it takes the form of the first layer. So there's some right. sort of, you know, we don't know who this guide is or like, is this a, inner you know subconscious type deal is this a like powers that be kind of deal i'm not really sure but it takes the form of this kind of you know primordial slayer and everything yeah so and right and and it does seem to be specifically a, a slayer specific guide like right. there, there does seem to be something like the way Giles talks right. about it's it. It's in like the Watcher's is, Diaries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it. it's something. So, you know, taking on the form of the first layer Makes sense, is perhaps yeah. appropriate. Um, although, you know, who knows? Like maybe if other slayers have gone through this sort of thing, like maybe it has taken other forms as well. Um, and also the fact that like Giles has to sort of transfer his guardianship to it. So yeah. there's, uh, you know, temporarily <laughs> with the or whatever, pokey. but <laughs> with the hokey pokey, right. And, and shake my ghoul. Yeah. I uh, like her very dead pan. That's what it's all about. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, no, that's a great little uh, bit of, yeah. uh, oh, and so speaking of the humor, of course, this episode is written by Jane Espenson. So sure. you do get some of those humorous moments, yeah. uh, which uh, also um, appropriate enough uh, she wrote, I was made to love you where we first saw yeah, the, yeah. uh, you know, the robot, robot yeah. girlfriend. And, uh, you know, so, you know, once again, it's fun to see sort of how writers 
keep alive their own mm -hmm. little ideas, yeah. you know, in the storyline and, and bring back things that maybe other writers wouldn't even think about or, yeah. you know, consider. Um, that's not to say that, you know, the Buffy bot thing wasn't planned because it was certainly set up previously with, you know, Spike asking, uh, you know, Warren, you know, sort of putting in an order. Right. But, uh, any, any, anyways, like, um, definitely the humor in there is, is, uh, you know, again, it's a Jane Espen Espenson episode, so you sort of come to expect that a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, going back to the to the Slayer guide, there, like, you know, I mean, clearly, it's something that has been used before. We don't know. Like, it, is this something every Slayer gets to, or is it maybe only, you know, we're in the fifth season of Buffy, which means you know she's been a Slayer now for five years, you know, yeah. and so is this something where like slayers of a certain age let's say <laughs> which you know we know that they don't really get to live to be that old um so you know now buffy you know uh is a full-fledged adult approaching and, her midlife and, crisis kind of and right right like from a slayer right. <laughs> uh, from a slayer life expectancy right. perspective right. uh she's yeah approaching her midlife crisis as you say and so you know is this sort of thing maybe you know, maybe slayers who've only, you know, who only last a year or two never have to go through this process, but maybe there are some who have lasted longer. And, and so there is maybe sort of a cycle or a process mm -hmm. of having to deal with these sorts of issues, or maybe it's for other issues too. Like maybe it's not even the same things per se, but you can imagine that, um, you know, uh, again, Buffy is different because she's a slayer with friends and family, right? Like that's from the beginning. That's sort of what we've seen. She has the Scooby. She sort of makes a different thing. So maybe it's not, you know, maybe other slayers do have that hardness. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it, that's not an issue that other slayers have to deal with because it's already there. They're already loners. They're already you know, sort of maybe more on the faith end of the spectrum right. than the Buffy end. And so, you know, this could just be her particular issue. But for whatever reason, there seems to be this process of connecting with, um, we don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, like it, maybe it's a higher power sort of thing, or maybe, you know, whatever it is, it certainly seems to be some sort of guidance um, that has been sort of tapped into before. And, and that seems tied specifically to that Slayer power or slayer line yeah um wherever that comes from which you know is interesting because i'd have to go back and look at the dialogue specifically but my memory from restless was more that the the spirit of the first slayer um was kind of encouraging her to embrace more of those hard loner qualities like it kind of stood for that um it was you know the spirit uh epitome of that and buffy kind of rejects that in that dream like there's her speech about like you know i i shop i sneeze i you know all the things that she does that make her who she is that you know and that that's her kind of rejection of being this you know primordial loner killer you know all those things Whereas now, you know, this guide, whatever it is, is kind of saying the opposite. It's saying, um, you know, 
you're not feeling this way because you are hardened. You're feeling this way because you're so full of love and the fear of that makes you pull back. And so, you know, kind of emphasizing the opposite qualities, like, you know, Buffy's connectedness and relationships and capacity for love. And it's telling her you're only going to be alone if you reject it. But, um, but don't do that because, you know, love is pain and the Slayer forges strength from pain. So telling her to embrace those relationships rather than to embrace her sort of lonely destiny and everything. So I thought that kind of was interesting. It's sort of saying the exact opposite of what the first Slayer was telling her before, which yeah. makes sense if they're not the same thing, then, you know, they... I wouldn't expect them to say the same thing, but interesting then that it chose that, you know, form, I guess, for its appearance. Um. Yeah. I, and that's, that's interesting. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't know if we have enough data to determine, is this like that, you know, the, so the, in restless, it was, you know, the spirit of the first layer that was sort of awakened when they, when did, they did the, the whole... Yeah, the, like, unity um, spell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and so, right, they awakened it, but maybe, you, you know, so it was like, you know, playing with their consciousness and trying to kill them in their dreams and all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, we don't, I don't know that we have enough info, like, this is a guide for slayers, but is it actually the first layer? And maybe it's because of that uh, invocation of the first layer spirit that, you know, it chooses this form, mm -hmm. you know, to maybe get Buffy thinking along those lines mm -hmm. or, you know, certainly us thinking along those lines, yeah. um, you know, but, but yeah, I don't, I think, I think it would be wrong to assume that they are the same, but I don't know that it's necessarily wrong to assume that they're, I, I don't know that it's necessarily right to assume that they're not the same either. Like, I don't, sure. I don't know what the appropriate assumption is. We don't, because, we don't know. Yeah. It um, doesn't. Yeah. You know, because again, like this is definitely a guide for Slayer. So it's, it's tied to the same power mm -hmm. that, you know, the first Slayer sort of has and which is what gets passed down. Mm -hmm. right um so i don't know like it, it it's connected somehow but i don't know if we can quite say it's the same thing right and so maybe maybe in a way this is a corrective thing right so this is um you know the guide is saying okay you're feeling like you're too hard you know becoming too hard of a person and maybe that's because you're trying to sort of whether consciously or subconsciously or whatever, you know, listen to what the first layer told you in your dream previously. Um, so now I'm telling you there's something different, right? Right, there's, right. There's, there's a different way to go um, or at least, a, a you know, tweak it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, it could be like a, she needs to hear different things at different points in her slaying career, you know? You know, the first was sort of, you know, about embracing that kind of destiny. And now it's sort of embracing the things which make her 
different from all the slayers before, which is these, you know, uh, loving relationships and everything. Um, and then it says, so love, give, forgive, risk the pain. It is your nature. Love will bring you to your gift. So, and I like Buffy's, what? <laughs> her, like, her, her reaction to, like, very important life prophecies, you know. Um, so. Right. Well, and this is, so this is sort of like, you know, the, the sort of typical prophecy, you know, uh, uh, Oracle at Delphi yeah, type yeah. stuff of, like, it's all, it, it sort of has this ritualistic, yeah. you know, language right, and right. cadence to it. Right. But and she just totally actually, undercuts it. Yeah. You don't actually have any idea what they're talking about. No. Yeah. Um, and, and there's no like reverence for it. It's just, she, it's her complete natural, you know, confusion. Um, right. So, yeah. And, and she asks the same question I was kind of thinking too. She says, um, I'm getting a gift or do you mean that I have a gift to give to someone else? And the guide doesn't answer that question. She just says, no. death is your gift. So, um, that makes me think of Tolkien because, you know, for him, mm. death is, is a gift in the sense of a gift received. It's the gift of men. It's the, the thing which we think of, uh, the grass is always greener. So, Whereas we think of immortality as the thing which is, you know, to be envied for the immortal, they look upon death as a gift and that, you know, we're stuck here for eternity and then, you know, maybe don't even last beyond that. Whereas, you know, in Tolkien's world, you know, men are, yes, they die, but they get to leave the world and go on to something better and greater afterwards and so they're sort of you know dead in the world but guaranteed life in a greater spiritual sense i guess um sure. so it's not like whereas it's typically seen as a curse you know it's like the result of the fall it's because we're sinful that you know we die whereas he's kind of flipping it and saying uh you know Eternity with the earth is not necessarily all that great. And maybe there's a positive side to being able to move on. So, you know, if I'm thinking about for Buffy, um, you know, death is her gift. I mean, so that could mean she, she asked the question, but she kind of takes it to mean, I think the more obvious meaning is like, she's a gifted killer. Like she's gifted at, at giving death to other people. So like she's good at slaying vampires, you know, so that could be what it means, you know, but if you flip it and look at it in the kind of the sense in which it kind of offends her is the idea that death is a, any kind of blessing to anybody that like, you know, to receive death could ever be a positive thing. And right. like, obviously that's what gets her hackles up, you know, when she's like, well, you know, my mother just died. So don't tell me that, you know, death is a gift. Um, you know, but again, the guide very pointedly doesn't 
say one way or the other what it means by that. Um, well, and also, I mean, sort of implied by the question of, is she getting a gift or giving a gift? If she's giving a gift, who is she giving it to? Right. Is is death a gift? You know, so if it's, if, if the slaying is sort of tied up as part of the death gift, mm -hmm. is it a gift to the person or thing that she slays? Or is it a gift to the other people who are menaced by the thing that she's right, saying. Right, right, right. Is there, or, or is it both? Like, you know, and, and so I'm just, I'm sort of spitballing. I'm not, yeah. I'm just sort of casting a wide net without an yeah. intention to sort of lead in any particular direction. But is there, um, you know, a, a sense in which, you know, the release of death, kind of like you're, you know, you were saying with the Tolkien thing is, um, you know, a gift to the person, say, who is trapped by the vampire, you know, so we get, we get the fact that like, you know, when someone's killed by the vampire, like, yeah, they lose their soul and a demon moves in and whatever. So is this a release yeah. for, for that person? And, and so that, you know, whatever happened to their soul can sort of finally be done with the earth kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, or is it sort of the more what you might typically expect of just by you know through her killing she's able to save the people she loves and and other people like who maybe she doesn't even know but you know are given that life you know at least for now you know continue uh can continue to live because of the gift that she gives them of you know killing these vampires or or demons or whatever yeah, yeah. um you know so i think there's there's multiple ways you can do that and then if you know if she's getting a gift and death is that gift like what does that mean does that mean that she's gonna die does it mean someone close to her is gonna die and mm -hmm. if so how is that a gift exactly <laughs> like right, what right. what is what does that mean if that's the case um yeah so or you know does it or is is the death that's being given to her you know maybe it's not at her hand but it's the death of someone else that's you know uh um benefits her in some way or whatever mm -hmm. or is there you know a silver lining to her mother's death or i mean there's there's all different a lot other of possible different yeah no and the, ways that that could sort of be interpreted yeah and it's um, very ambiguous yeah like it's just death is your gift that's all that that's yeah. all the information that we're getting and again with her kind of irreverence i like when she goes back to her friends and it's like she just sums it up to the death is my gift like <laughs> like her kind of like all i trekked all the way out to the desert for this like you know um right this is completely right. unhelpful and you know totally cryptic and gives me nothing useful to work with other than like a lot of very ominous, you know, yeah. uh, references. So, um, on, on top of which she doesn't really have time to like actually talk about it with anyone. No. Because, like, yeah. They're sort of, she's thrown into the yeah. situation yeah. that they're all dealing yeah. with when she gets back. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, all right. I want to kind of transition over to kind of from that into 
the kind of main plot of Spike and the Buffy bot. Um, and quite before we get into them, I just want to kind of cross that over with Buffy because I thought it was a nice little, you know, again, it, this is a very subtle, tiny little metaphor of the week, but I like that as you have Buffy angsting about being hard and, you know, uh, you know, very mechanical. At the same time, you have Spike with a literal, you know, plastic mechanical Buffy. Right. And so you kind of get like the little bit of the contrast between, well, you know, if you really want to see what mechanical love looks like, you know, here's the example of the Buffy bot who just is, you know, uh, automatic and programmed and a slave to Spike and not like living and breathing and everything. Um, but you also get the thing of like her, when she comes back, like you couldn't even tell me from a robot, like, you know, that idea that like, you know, and which that's Espenson being funny because for most of the episode, I am sitting there thinking like, come on, like Xander Willow, really? Like you can't tell any of this, but like, that's what it's kind of sending up is that the idea that, you know, she could be on such autopilot that they don't even realize sure. that, <laughs> that yeah. when well, she's replaced that, by that, you know. But but thinking back to I Was Made to Love You, where you get like, um, you know, all of them individually uh, when they come to when they come together and they're like, so what are you thinking? And they're all like, robot, robot, definitely a robot. Like, yeah. you know, it, it's like there's no question. They all think it, you right. know, that a girl that they April, don't even know. I think it was like, yeah, yeah, is a robot. Yeah. Um, just because of the way she talks now. But yeah, like Buffy, who, you know, they're all close to or whatever. Yeah. It's like. And, you know, OK, so they know that she like went out to do this thing like Buffy is like or uh, no, Xander, you know, is says something like oh she seems like she's still like out of it from that it's like what did they think she was going out in the desert to do like you know she wasn't like taking shrooms or something like you know like why would she be out of it because she went to see like a spirit guy right right like this this isn't doesn't doesn't make sense and then when she comes in and is like normal yeah and they're all talking to her she's like what no no, this is not what's going on. And they don't believe her. Yeah, um, yeah no, it's it's pretty funny. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I mean, so the question there is, is that, you know, are they sort of not able to tell, you know, what she's going through? Like, are they not able to tell that Buffy Bot is a robot? Uh, you know, because of Buffy and her own, you know, being on autopilot or whatever, or is that like a reflection more on them? Right. You like, know, sort of being concerned with their own. Yeah. No, stuff. there's a question of like, who are we laughing at here? Are we laughing at Buffy or are we laughing at, you know, Xander and Willow and the others who can't even tell the difference? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know that I have a real clear answer one way or the other, I feel like it is more Xander and Anya and and Willow and everything that like they're aware enough to realize something's wrong, but not, you know, putting enough thought into it to, you know, they go right into, and maybe it's just a thing of like, they assume that they know what the problem is. Like, 
it's it's a leaping well, to conclusions of oh you're upset about your mother still and you're being rash right. and we have to do an intervention and it's all these kind of like you know jumping to all of these conclusions rather than stopping to think wait a minute she is acting strangely and what might actually be the most reasonable explanation for something like this or you know so maybe it's more of a kind of comment on that rather yeah. than anything Buffy's doing specifically and and I definitely think that's part of it because um I think it's it's Willow who or, or no even when Tara uh, is like, oh, you know, at, at first she's like, oh, well, you know, when someone close to you just died and like sometimes people do yeah. rash Don't things. And, yeah. and and so she's sort of advocating that. And and then, you know, like uh, Xander and Anya are like, this is what happened. <laughs> you know, there <laughs> she slept with Spike. And then Willow like takes it to like, you know, the full like emotional willow like deep-seated empathy you know like oh well she's really under and tara's like no no that's too far like let's let's but even at that like it seems like they still don't quite understand that you know uh this is even beyond like even though tara sort of says no like that's that's totally crazy Mm -hmm. like there's no reason she should be doing that like they don't actually they still are sort of treating Buffy as though, you know, this is a cry for help or whatever. Right, you know, right. because her mother just died. Um, which obviously isn't the case at all. Um or treating the Buffy bot that way, I should say, because it's not Buffy. Yeah, yeah. Um and and, you know, <laughs> whenever someone starts uh talking to Anya on Anya's level, like you should be sort of concerned you know yeah <laughs> i love when she goes how is your How's money, your money? <laughs> fine thank you anya is so pleased to be like nobody yeah. ever asks after my money like yeah she's uh you know that you're right it does sort of speak to her on her wavelength yeah um, and you know again with you know going back to i was made for love you like she thought that uh you know the robot was very well spoken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's she's seen, some people are some people like that sort of right, right. You know, talk right. And she's <laughs> yeah. She speaks with a very you know very uh, specificity. You know, and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that uh, kind of makes sense. Although there are the occasional things of like more insightfulness, like when Xander notices that she doesn't ask after Dawn. You know that like. Which sure. you'll notice when the real Buffy comes back, she does immediately. That's the first thing that she asks. So right. exactly. noticing that, like, well, that's, they don't put it. He notices it. He notices it, but, it, he but doesn't, doesn't come to the right conclusion about it. But, right. you know, at least, you know, which again is more, you know, fuel for the, well, Buffy actually does have a lot of love camp, you know, because the yeah. real Buffy does worry about her sister, whereas the Buffy bot Absolutely. doesn't. So, and and then even when they first see the two of them together, and Xander still jumps to the wrong conclusion of oh, there's two puppies, <laughs> yeah. like like what happened to him. Yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, speaking of which, odd coincidence. Um, uh, 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 sorry, the actor's name, uh, Brendan. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my mind went blank. Nicholas Brendan. Nicholas Nicholas Brendan. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
actually was really sick during the filming of this episode. So there are some scenes um, that have his twin, Kelly Donovan. Um, oh, yeah. I think in, you did in, mention in, that. Yeah. Which I did this, not. Uh, episode. Yeah, I, I don't, couldn't tell I, the difference. So, And I couldn't tell you how many or which ones yeah. or whatever. Um, so, you know. I like it's just it's just funny that we call back to that episode there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where the two of them um acted together and this is uh yeah, again, just sort of referencing that. But um and and like I know it's not the only like I I know Kelly Donovan plays as at least like a stand in or maybe in like a fight scene here and there or mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, uh, throughout the series. So I don't know that that's completely unusual but i from what i understand there was more in this case than maybe is usual yeah yeah um so in talking about the scoobies uh, a couple other things i wanted to sort of point out um not specifically in relation to the buffy bot but just because there's nowhere else to sort of yeah talk about them um two things actually i want to note one is that um we we get a bit more of it, it's just a mention really but um just want to note that like we get more of sort of willow's uh expertise in magic we get tara yeah doing a spell mm-hmm. in xander and anya's apartment and you know her sort of saying oh you know willow could do a much better job and sort of this and and xander's like well then maybe we should have her redo it like yeah <laughs> totally not caring what Tara thinks about that yeah um, or or sparing her feelings in any way but um well and Tara kind of being in her self-deprecating probably underselling right. her own skill like you know or who knows yeah I mean maybe uh, maybe. maybe 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 not but maybe certainly Although she's I've... not shy about uh saying the ways in which Willow's superior so yeah I don't I mean so yeah, like on the one hand, like we have seen Tara be self-deprecating, but at the same time, like I feel like she's at the point now where she's comfortable enough, at least with the other Scoobies, to where like she can be honest, and yeah. that she is a good sort of measure of what magical talent is. Yeah. Like she, you know, she can at least recognize. You, you know, it's like that thing of like, uh, you know, someone who's talented in a particular way can certainly recognize when like someone is more talented, even if, you know, someone who's an amateur or maybe who isn't, you you know, so like say playing an instrument, like, you know, as a guitar player, I can do certain things and, you know, but I can recognize certainly when other guitarists, most of them are better than me at certain things, you know, and, and, you know, but someone like my mom who doesn't play any guitar or, you know, whatever, um, like wouldn't know the first thing and just would say, Oh, you're, you're really good and whatever. Right. right. Um, you know, so it's like that sort of thing, like being adept herself, she can recognize, you know, sort of quote unquote true talent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that sort of thing. So I think, like, I think you're right. Like the self deprecating thing might be in there a little bit, but I don't know that that necessarily makes her statement false. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, just the point being that she does sort of point out that like, um she says willow's a natural with magic in just the time i've known her she's already blown right past me so that's like that's not even like oh well you know willow might be able to do a better job it's like she's way better at things than i am you know just since we met which isn't 
you know, would, was like what a year ago or something. So, yeah. um, just wanted to sort of point that out that like we get Willow continuing to, um, be, you know, sort of increasing her magical skills and all that. And not that we didn't know that, but just a reference. Um, well, and of course, actually still on Willow, um, just the fact that like she's tinkering with the Buffy bot and, you know, mm -hmm. so we do still sort of get like her computer yeah. slash robotics slash, you know, technical savvy uh, in there sort of mixed in as well. Yeah. Um, the other thing uh, that I mentioned right before we started and you said you had missed it um, in the episode, but I definitely want to point out too that we get uh, it very, very sly of Dawn um, while they're in uh, Xander and Anya's apartment, um, she picks up a pair of earrings off the side table um, while, you know, the others are talking and sort of slips them into her pocket. Mm -hmm. um, so we get, um, uh, you know, not the first time that Dawn's sort of stolen mm -hmm. or whatever, um, but maybe the first time that she's done so without an apparent purpose. Like we, we saw her stealing like, right. like magic um, the book. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, she broke into the magic shop previously mm -hmm. with, um, you know, Spike. And so we get, you know, we've got some stuff like that, but but there have sort of been clear motives to why she's doing those things. Yeah. Um, this is less clear. Right, um, right. So just sort of wanted to at least note that that happened. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I must have been, like, looking at my notes or something when that happened. So it was, she did it so subtly that I didn't even pick up on it. Yeah. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um yeah, and that kind of goes somewhat against um, the rest of the episode. For me, it felt like the emphasis was on Dawn, like Buffy, starting to get out of the immediate grief of losing her mother. And you get a, the slightly more, you know, mature things of like saying, you know, uh, no, it's okay, you can go on your quest and I'll be fine. Like, you have this very reasonable, mature Dawn. So then sure. to have, to note that, okay, in the meantime, there's also this, you know, uh, apparently purposeless little theft going on is kind of interesting because the two don't necessarily seem to go together. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we talked about the Buffy bot and the and kind of how the others reacted to her, but I don't want to skip over like the whole Spike Buffy bot interaction because that's kind of uh the the main place where she sort of interacts um, before we get into the whole glory plot and everything. Um, and I'm not sure how much there is to say, because we kind of had the setup of like, all right, we know that Spike gave all this stuff to Warren and we knew he was going to do this eventually. Um, but it is kind of funny to see them interact and, and, you know, you get the humor of the kinds of things you would expect, you know, you know, Spike to ask Warren to program her in a very specific way. Right. So, you know, right. you know, it's probably all the stuff you would have guessed, but it is funny to see play out. Like what are, what is Spike's fantasy of a relationship with Buffy like? Um, and, and just like with Warren, you get both the wish fulfillment and also the disappointment of the reality of that, you know, because sure. on the one hand, 
he has her doing all the things that he wished Buffy would do and not being, you know, uh, quite as uh, disagreeable as Buffy would really be. Like, so she's going along with, you know, uh, you know, they kind of pretend fight, but, you know, but Spike wins, you know, and, and she, you know, gets to kind of be the, he gets to be, you know, the, the victor and, you know, ravish her and do all the things that, you know, right. The way he wishes these fights would go, um, that they would be kind of like playful and then, you know, erupt into like steamy lovemaking and everything. Um, sure. But on the other hand, you get all the attendant, uh, you know, disappointment when you realize she's just the Buffy bot. She's not, you know, really Buffy. So, you know, the things of asking, like, should I start this program over? And, you know, anytime she sort of breaks the illusion, you know, then he's sort of reminded of what a hollow kind of, you know, experience this is and everything. Um, But there is the part that had me rolling was uh, the use of the big bad when they're in the cemetery and and Xander and I like that's his sort of like, you know, that's like dirty talk to Spike, you know, is like saying to him that he's the big bad, like, you know, and especially because of all the stuff for several seasons now of like. Spike getting more and more peripheral and more and more emasculated and all that, like, whereas he started out as potentially a big bad. And then he's just been beaten down and down and down ever since then. That Like every time we see him, he's like more vulnerable and further away from, you know, being the main villain and less and less of a threat to the point where they don't even really worry about him anymore. Um, so it's funny to me that that's what he has Buffy to say to sort of, you know, prop him up again and everything. Um, just cracked yeah. me up. Yeah, yeah no, I, I mean, obviously a lot of, a lot of this is meant to be just sort of humorous um, or whatever. I mean, but also, you know, as Buffy says at the end, like sort of the, the entire premise um, and, you know, the premise in I was made to love you is pretty gross and, yeah. and obscene, um, you know, so. Uh, yeah. But well, it's, so disturbing you know, as, as disturbing as it is funny and everything. It, it, you know, but again, it's it's that reminder of like, you know, Spike is still evil. Like he's still a vampire, yeah. and he's still, um, you know, has his urges and whatever. And and okay, maybe he can't touch Buffy directly, but you know, this is a way that he can sort of live vicariously. And you know, it's another step, right? So we've. We saw the, you know, we saw it starting out with like the pictures and then like the mannequin that stressed up. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, Harmony, who was sort <laughs> right. of a willing, you know, participant in right. the fantasies. Um, and now, you know, th- this is like another step in the downward 
downward spiral. Like mm-hmm. what, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, but um, yeah. there is that thing. But also, you know, there's, I think one of the important things that we get out of this, though, too, is that there's, and and that I think Buffy gets out of it as well, is that there is a genuineness to whatever Spike is feeling. Um, and while he certainly you know chooses to uh sort of express it in uh uncomfortable and um uh uh you know what's the right word uh, uh inappropriate ways mm-hmm. or whatever you know there's still you know buffy says you know what you did with glory was real like this this whole you know buffy bot thing is is gross and obscene and whatever but but what you did was real like the the reason that he has and i know we're kind of skipping ahead because we haven't talked about the glory stuff but but there is whatever he's feeling there does seem to be a a kernel or a core of a genuine Mm -hmm. desire to protect buffy and dawn and you know by extension perhaps the others so you know again that's not to say that the way he takes you know action on those desires and that kernel of you know realness or whatever is is a good thing but there is definitely something something there right yeah yeah which is i mean we might as well talk about that last scene because um that's kind of why she uh goes in pretending to be the Buffy bot is, is to see, you know, to get the, a, an honest answer from him about, she's not so much trying to get the honesty of his feelings. She's more trying to learn, did he, you know, say anything or not? But through that, she sees, you know, that, you know, she gets a more unfiltered, honest, you know, look into his actual feelings as well. Um, Yeah. So the thing of, uh, you know, he didn't say anything to glory and he tells the Buffy bot not to say anything and, you know, uh, let, let glory kill me first before, you know, he would let that happen. So um, at least in that moment, that seems to be, you know, a genuine feeling of care towards Buffy, not just, not just feelings for her or pining for her or, you know, wishing she were with him or all these other things, but, you know, being, you know, loving in the sense of putting her first and putting her interests before his own and everything. Um, Sure. Yeah. And, you know. It kind of leaves it hanging. She rewards him with, you know, the little kiss and then lets it sort of drop so that he knows it's, you know, by the end he knows it's Buffy, that it's not the Buffy bot. So, um, you know, we'll see where that goes if that, if he sort of takes that for what it is. Um, You know, I don't know. I don't want to get into the, back into the, the question of, when you know is Buffy leading him on or not um sure you know which I don't think she is I don't think that's her intent you know but we won't necessarily know Spike's reaction you know 
to that by the end of this episode. Um, yeah. You know, but I think her, like, obviously she explains her point that, you know, this isn't, her feelings about him aren't changing because it's not like, oh, look what you did with the Buffy bot. That was so romantic. Like, obviously that was disgusting. It was the, you know, his standing up for her and, you know, refusing to sell her out, which is, you know, the real show of his feelings. So. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk in the last few minutes about glory. Um, so we get the follow-up of that they know the key is a person. And so the next logical step is to figure out which person. And of course, uh, they see Spike and the Buffy bot together and jump to the <laughs> obvious conclusion that it's him because she's, you know, she protects him above all others. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, a couple interesting things. Um, we get from glory um you know she can tell pretty much instantly that it he's not the key because she can tell that he's a vampire and apparently the key is supposed to be pure so it should be you know so they're you know if they really start looking it'll probably pretty i would think be pretty easy for them to figure out who it is because they're looking for a pure person who, you know, hasn't, you know, would be like young, hasn't been in the world for very long. And all of those things do seem to point to Dawn that, you know, she's, you know, uh, a young person. So, you know, that purity and that youth and everything sort of, you know, go along with that. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else... I mean, we talked about the fact that Spike puts up with a heck of a lot and does refuse to, you know, say anything. He kind of, like, pretends he's going to say something just to kind of, you know, buy himself time and everything. Um, but I'm trying to think of what else to say that I haven't said before. With Glory, I guess, we do get the line about the little reference to Ben, I guess, about, you know, uh, he's getting stronger and she's losing control of him. Um, and this time she refers to him as her enemy. Um, hmm. She says, I'm a god in exile, far from the hellfires of home, and sharing my body with an enemy that stabs my boys in their little fleshy stomachs. So <laughs> she's getting more and more frustrated with that. So it seems like they are at odds, you know, they're enemies. They're maybe working towards different purposes and uh, maybe, I don't, you know, maybe because having met the Slayer and the key, Ben is sort of fighting back stronger than he has been previously, I guess, but. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't know much at this point. So like, I don't, I hesitate to say sure. anything more, but yeah, I mean, it certainly, um, I mean, we've gotten the hints, you know, before now of like Ben 
Well, yeah, stabbing one of her minions, obviously not a good good thing for him to do. Although he he's poor at it, so like right. maybe he's not well practiced in killing people, which, you know, we would hope a nurse isn't. Um Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh but yeah, like he he seems to be um actively now working against her, mm-hmm. whereas before maybe he just wasn't helping her. You know, so, like, there seems to be sort of maybe a shift in, uh, you know, whereas before he was sort of content to let sleeping dogs lie, like, now he's actively, you know, preventing her from finding things out and refusing to help her, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and and actively withholding information from her. Yeah. Um, And, and... And through stabbing of minions and that sort of thing, trying to prevent that information from getting to her. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the 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 glory and Spike thing is kind of funny. Um, you know, you, you get like Spike like, oh yes, I'm useless. Like, let me go. <laughs> like, but of course that. Yeah, I'm as um, impure as the driven yellow snow. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, you know, uh, his sort of enraging her to the point where she hits him so hard that he flies out of his right, shackles. Right, like provoking her. He, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he goes, you know, hard to say with Spike because he was, you, you know, he was with Drusilla so long. So maybe he likes a little torture every now and then. Like, sure. you know, who, who's not to say he's not enjoying, you know, whatever right. Glory's doing to him. But it does seem to be rather painful and we know spike you know would prefer not to be in pain if he can be um so it does seem to be you know again like the fact that um like we already sort of talked about you know his his willingness to be tortured and uh potentially give up his life for or give up his death uh for um buffy you know seems to be genuine there Mm -hmm. um and and like the sort of uh, look of relief that he has when he's in the elevator and sees like Buffy and the Scoobies sort of come bursting through the front door. Yeah. And, um, he realizes that he is saved or, you know, at least will be saved or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I am curious, though, because we don't actually see them escape, but like I am curious how they got out of there because it's like broad daylight out. Right. So, right. Um, you know, maybe they found a way down to the basement and into like the sewers or something but sure it it is sort of funny how yeah we sort uh, of cut away from yeah we don't actually see them leaving yeah. and how they're able to get out of there but. yeah and and very conspicuous that you know glory doesn't join into that you know big fight she sort of leaves the the minions to go bring the spike back because maybe she just thinks yeah. they just have to deal with that one vampire she's not expecting you know the cavalry to burst in so um and then you kind of get the hints of her taking out her you know displeasure on them yeah Um, yeah right and we don't know what actually happens like so here's the thing with glory because we don't actually know how many minions she has right um and we don't know how many like she may have just killed as sort of like you know an offhand yeah punishment or whatever right, um right. yeah so like or like where she could get more like you know she run down to the minion store right. when she's all out 
Um, Hobbits with leprosy. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Or even like, I, I mean, presumably they come from like the same dimension that she, uh, that she did. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't, I, you know, and she's trying to get back there. Like we know the key like opens the door. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't seem like more are coming through. Right. So, right. you know, it's hard to say like exactly what, um, you know exactly how many she has sort of despair but right um yeah you know but maybe yeah maybe she's just sort of torturing them right um, right and it, and it's you know the other thing is like it's not clear like she she must still be sort of draining people's mental energy you know can she use her minions for that or is it like you know is that like you know tapping into your bank account like it's okay to like spend the interest but like when you start spending principal Mm. uh then then you're really in trouble because you know if she doesn't have uh minions to bring her you know people to sort of feed off of right right yeah because she says she can't drain spike um you know so maybe it's a has to be human you know victims kind of thing um yeah yeah. So anyway, I, you know, lots of speculation there. But yeah. Sometimes that's fine. As is usually the case with glory. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. Uh, Did we? But yeah. I feel like we kind think, of covered everything. I think we're good. Um, I don't know that we have a lot more to talk about. Yeah. No, I think I think we're good because we already sort of talked about the final scene there. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're getting down to the last few episodes of the season, mm-hmm. so we'll we'll start getting into some more of that um, pretty soon. Yeah. But for now, we can talk about Doctor Who. Yeah. Let's. Um, I really like this episode, but you get to start and say what you think in the... Uh, Pick where you'd like to go first. Yeah. No, I like it too. It's one of my favorites, I think, of so far that I've seen of um, Capaldi Mm -hmm. anyway. So uh, definitely, definitely am enjoying, definitely enjoyed it. Um, Where do I want to start? With the doctor? No. Good question. Yeah. I mean, I do want to start with the doctor. Before I stole it, but. I, I know. Um, I think though, so, so here's the question because I mean, obviously, yeah, the doctor is like the, the character, right. Other than like the creature following him, who you said is called the veil, um, which turns out to be sort of like a steampunk, you know, clockwork Mm -hmm. thing. It, it, you know, it appears, uh, so I don't know if character is quite the right word. Right. Um, it kind of implies that it's just part of the castle. Like everything yeah. in there is sort of clockwork. And so it's just a another piece of, you know, machinery. You know, it's not actually so much a character or a spirit as much as like a function of the castle, I guess, would be my reading. Sure. Um and then there's like the boy at the end. Yeah. And other than those two, like the only other character is the doctor. Yeah. 
Um, so, yes, we're going to start with the doctor. Uh, but maybe let's talk about the castle first. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, we just sort of get... So, coming off the, the previous episode, we know that um, the doctor's being teleported somewhere, right? He He's sort of forced to... Um, put on this uh or, or tricked into putting on this bracelet right mm -hmm. um and then you know he's whisked away uh to where we don't know well this is this is where we find out yeah uh it, you know it's in this um castle uh yeah sort of a I mean, it's it's steampunky in that we have like gears and mm -hmm. like the castle moving around, but it's but like I you you sort of tend to equate steampunk with like Victorian era, mm -hmm. but this is not Victorian. This is right. medieval. Right. Um, right. So there's that sort of twist to it a little bit. Um, there's got to be but, some sort of medieval version of steampunk, right? Like I don't. Oh know yeah. What... I I mean I I'm sure. I, you know, maybe it's just steampunk, you know, I don't know, uh, sword punk. Sword punk, that's good, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I kind of like that. Uh, if that's not a thing, it, it should be. It should be, definitely. Um, so yeah, so we get, uh, we get a sword punk castle, <laughs> and, um, we don't really know what's going on, so we kind of go through it with the doctor, and I don't know that we need to, like, go through all the different sort of pieces of the puzzle that mm -hmm. he has to get to. Right. So there's the, um, uh, you know, like the spade with the dirt on it and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the writing in the dust of his own mm -hmm. or, well, not his own, but like the previous iteration of him. Right. Right. Um, you know, each time and, and, and you get that, like, this sort of automated, um, uh, which, you know, when I think of like automated houses, I always think of, um, you know, the Ray Bradbury story, mm -hmm. uh, there will come soft rains. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. uh, you know, where you have sort of the house that's broken down yeah. after, um, like a nuclear right. Holocaust still performing all of its, yeah. its duties and yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so so that's all good. Um, you know, but the main thing is that, like, you you know, we don't know where this is. So it's it's this castle sort of in the middle of nowhere. We find out that it's actually in the middle of water um, on some planet mm -hmm. that we don't know where it is. Um, you know, we learn that apparently it's, you know, several thousand years into the future. Um even though the doctor says that he doesn't feel like he's time traveled at all. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't know, you know, what that's all about necessarily. Um, and we, and we sort of work through this, this mystery. Um, and I don't know that there's, you, you know, the castle sort of being the setting for this and, and we get, um, you know, we get this monster of the veil and, and, you know, so, even, you know, despite the fact that it's sort of, uh, you know, steampunky, we get, you know, these monitors everywhere that, that sort of look like, you know, the TARDIS monitors mm, a little mm -hmm. bit, maybe, you know, these like flat screen yeah. um, televisions. But, you know, they're all, they all have um, this 
you know, everything, all, all of these monitors are showing the vision of this creature that's following him mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the veil, um, which has a sort of a, almost a Dalek vision sure, uh, yeah. to it. Like, yeah, like you a, know, the single seems, eye that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it seems very, and, and not just a single eye, but sort of like a, almost like a fisheye lens mm -hmm, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it has that sort of distortion to it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, and you know it's cloaked and you know it's hooded and whatever. So like we don't, we can't quite see like is is it like one of those little protruding, uh, you know, Dalek eyes or or not? We don't quite know. Um, although I guess maybe we get a little bit of a close up of like a chin or something at some point, but I don't know. Yeah, sort um, of. Um, uh, but yeah, so like we don't we don't know where this is. We don't know why. This is all happening. We see, you know, the different rooms where you have like the picture of Clara that's apparently quite old, and you have um, the clothes that are sort of sitting there by the fireplace mm -hmm. um, that the doctor changes into and out of. And and you wonder, like, is this the same? Is he just switching between outfits? Like, right. Well, I know, I know, we haven't talked about what the main conceit is, but like, yeah, the the sort of second time that I watched it through, I was like, oh, so is this just like. Is there two outfits or are there like many outfits that just get replaced each time? Right, right. Um, be because as, you know, he does these different things, like stuff gets reset, um, mm -hmm. you know, things get cleaned up. Although apparently not the dust on the floor from the dead, you know, Time Lord. That stays. Right. Or at least um, at least long enough for him to see it. And then it sort of maybe well, gets reset Yeah, again. because it... It's like a full day mm -hmm. between when he steps out initially and sees the dust there, and then he comes back and sees the word mm -hmm. burn. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Just pointing that out. Sure. But, sure. Uh, uh, you know. And right, and not everything does get, because you do get that, that Clara's portrait is very faded with age so it's not like it's pristine always like there are certain things that you know get tidied sure. up and then there are certain things that the clues are there and I like the way that on by the end and by second viewing you go back and you see all those hints of what's going on that you know the painting has been peeling away for a long time and yeah and there are many many skulls you know uh you know, sitting at the, in the bottom of the moat and, you know, mm. um, yeah. And the, and the nice, right. and, and, and realizing that, that they're all his. Yeah. <laughs> and that he goes and not only replaces the clothes, but like sets them up just so, and even fixes the shoes so that they're, you know, he has a kind of sense of, sure. I need to leave this neat. Um, yeah. So all these kind of things kind of hinting at, uh, you know, the, the big reveal um, that are all kind of laid in there nicely. Um, and I want to kind of point out too, that like, it's an interesting idea for Moffat because he's so often accused of writing like the puzzle box story. Um, and in a derogatory way that he's accused of only writing that and only being capable of writing that. But I think you get the kind of like very intentional, meta playing with that here too of like you know this is like the ultimate you know uh 
I guess, doctor situation is like in a literal puzzle box, um, you know, mm. that like he's in a box that is like a puzzle and it resets and he has to figure things out and it has the mysteries and all those sorts of things. Um, and I like the way that that is kind of, you know, is it heaven or hell? It, you're not quite sure. Cause he's kind of talking about, you know, maybe this is a, you know, my own personal torture chamber and maybe I'm in hell and I'll be here forever. But then you also get the lines about, you know, I'm trapped in a, puzzle box with no escape it must be christmas so you know that kind of fine line between you know is this you know uh is this the ultimate challenge or is this like you know the challenge that can't be beaten you know um sure sure um okay so the veil. Mm -hmm. I I mean, like we said, it, it kind of is part of the castle, or or, or the puzzle anyway. Um, I don't know that I have a lot to say about it. It seems to be that, like, you know, we 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 learn that um, one, it keeps coming after the doctor um, and tries to get him, um, which we don't understand what that means until sort of the end mm -hmm. um, which we find out is it's basically trying to kill him mm -hmm. um but it doesn't quite kill him we get we get this explanation of um that actually it's quite hard to kill a time lord um which fair enough you know as long as uh, what is it like as long as there's like one cell mm -hmm. you know still alive it's it's trying to regenerate mm -hmm. and that kind of thing um and that it may actually take days for a time lord to actually die. Um, yeah. Uh, so the question becomes, knowing sort of what the ending is, mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that this is, that we're actually inside the, spoiler alert, that we're actually in, inside the doctor's confession dial mm -hmm. here, or a confession dial. I guess I assumed it was the doctor's. Um, I mean, I feel like that's, the implication. I don't think there's yeah. reason to think it's anything else. Yeah. I, I mean, he's the one confessing and he's the one yeah. telling the truth and, you know, it stops all. So like, I don't yeah. like that seemed reasonable yeah. to me. I just yeah. wanted to point out that I don't think we ever actually get a confirmation of that. It's just sort of assume, an assumption. Right. Um, however safe it might be. Um, yeah. So, the question becomes like it doesn't quite kill him and it doesn't do it immediately mm. uh, and it seems to go away once it's done like it's not you know he talks about what it, like takes a day or, you know more than a day or whatever to like right. get up the stairs right. it doesn't like come back, back to finish the job or, yeah, yeah. yeah. right whereas previously like he only had 82 minutes right. you know um between sort of running from one end of the castle to the other uh, you know, to give himself enough time to do whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so, like, once it sort of gets him, it it just sort of goes away. Um, the fact that it doesn't kill him immediately, though, given that this is Time Lord technology, and mm -hmm. the whole point seems to be, what? To get the confessions, I guess, but also to 
like we know that the confession dial uh, from previous explanations i believe the confession dial is supposed to open upon the doctor's death right like isn't that what we're told from by missy yeah uh, i think so yeah uh back when mm-hmm. um that whole you know storyline was going down mm-hmm. so is this is is this like typical of like a time lord's death like does the time you know so just thinking about like the time lord death process of mm-hmm. you know they're like is this like their estate planning kind of you know thing of right. you know okay i'm ready to die now um my energy sort of gets absorbed into this confession dial and i have to go through this process and at, at the end of which is my ultimate death and the opening of the dial kind of thing um i i think that's kind of seems to me like a well-reasoned argument based on what we know um you know we do have another episode so i don't want to confirm oh, yeah, or yeah. deny like i i realize i'm totally like just speculating here so like i don't i'm not necessarily looking for you to say yes or no i just these are my thoughts so you know again like going back then to the fact that the veil doesn't kill him immediately like he he has enough energy to go back you know spend a day and a half or whatever it is climbing upstairs and getting to the main room Mm -hmm. where he's uh uh you know they're the the transporter room or whatever um where he's able to use like the last bit of his energy to um you know create another instance of himself mm-hmm. um so my 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 question is then how intentional is the exactness of the veil's power to severely you know, to to mortally wound him, but not kill him right away. Right. I right. guess is 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 sort of the like is this and and who creates these dials? Like, is this one of those things where it's like, um, you know, is it like a a Jedi lightsaber where like each Time Lord creates his own dial mm-hmm. kind of thing, or is it you know just off the shelf technology that sort of mm-hmm. um, you know adapts itself to the time lords right individual situation or you know right. what i you know or, again, or this, very this specifically designed by the other time lords you know um for for, for each other or for him right right directly. right because that's and, kind of and, again whether it's them doing it or whether it's his own subconscious you do definitely get that sense of this is tailor made for him and the oh. sense of you know it's it's yeah. it's his nightmare of the woman under the veil with the flies and you know and and the idea that yeah i mean i i think it's kind of safe to say that there is some aspect of this which is i guess innate to the confession dial like in the sense of this is a piece of technology that we have that we use in time of death but also there's a sense in which it's used being used in a very specific way of you know we want confessions about you know things that the doctor knows you know there's there are we don't just want to hear what do you feel sorry about and your what do you regret from your life we want to know what you know 
Um, this isn't it, it's not like a priest giving last rites. Right. Like right. saying, you know, it's not like, oh, confession is good for your soul. Right. It's confession is good for our situation that right. we want to have. Right. You know, right. It's more like it's and, more like a torturer using the last rites for their to get information from you. Um, yeah. And and I feel like that was sort of implied even even in the last episode with um, a shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sort of saying you know, sort of asking for the confession battle and saying, well, you know, they have other ways of getting it, but, you know, this is kind of like, why fight it? Um, which is interesting because, you know, I don't know, is that actually true, given that we know where the transport actually takes him? Like, right. you know, she has the confession dial at that point. Is it immediately taking him into that confession dial? And then, like, she's later handing it off to someone? Mm-hmm. Or is there some sort of holding period? Like, you know, it just, we don't know. Yeah, we don't. Um, whatever. So, and again, it becomes a question of, like, so is all of this happening? Like, is all of this physically happening? Like, is he in an actual physical place? Like, you know, okay, you know, it's confession dial. It's bigger on the inside because it's time right. word technology. Right, right. and. And, you know, all of these things are happening. Or is it more of like, yeah, like a mental energy type of thing where it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's all playing out psychically. And maybe, um, you know, he's not physically spending this number of years, but he's spending, you know, psychically, it it's feels like it's all this. Although then again, on the other hand, I don't know how he would actually feel. Because each instance seems like he's just arriving. Mm-hmm. So at most, he's only spending a couple of days mm-hmm. uh, subjectively, mm-hmm. even though we know it takes, you know, whatever, four billion years, right. whatever, the, <laughs> you know, the, the actual right. time is. So, right. Right. so there's no... Actually, that's weird, because I, I hadn't really thought about that before. But, but the fact that he, each time for him, it's a, you know subjectively only a couple of days that he spends there mm. maybe let's call it like three days because i think i think we see like two nights pass mm-hmm. and then there's like the extra the day, day it takes and, him to climb and, back you know up. takes yeah, him yeah. to climb up yeah um so yeah so say like two to three days you know times four billion years is you know like 12 billion years and no this would be I don't know how many days that would actually be, but is like we'll call it like a cool trillion days or something yeah, yeah. like that. Uh, you know, so but he doesn't feel that. He doesn't feel all of those, even though, like you know, presumably he could measure by the progress that he's made into the you know mineral that's harder than right, right. There. Well, and I like, I want to bring that's a good thing to bring up because to kind of transition away from like the mechanics of it to like the more philosophical like what's it saying type stuff um like that's that's definitely a big part of it like to what extent does his remembering or not affect the story um because I definitely agree that you know he he doesn't remember it up until uh, up until he does you know there's the moment where he finally sees the diamond and he's looking around. He's like, what? I don't get it. And then he's like, bird. And then it hits him. 
like, you know, the ton of bricks. And that's when he has his little, in his little TARDIS mind palace, he has his thing about, um, <laughs> to use another yeah. Stephen Moffat trope, um, to, he has this thing of, it's always then, always then at that exact moment, you know, is when he remembers. And so it does feel like for that last day, at least for what the time it takes him to do his punching and to climb back up. I, the implication to me is that he does remember it all. Um, Like, and so maybe he gets two days out of every three is in sort of blissful ignorance. And then one day is with the four, the full, you know, two billion or three billion years of, you know, the weight of the memory. Um, And so, and to me, it makes me feel really complicated of not knowing which is worse, you know, like on the one hand, it's like, wouldn't it, isn't it better to be ignorant and unburdened by the memory of what you're suffering? But on the other hand, at least in the beginning, before we get to the, like, I love how the climax builds and gets faster and faster and faster as it goes through. Um, before it really like takes momentum, when you when you first see him kind of go back and start to repeat all of the stuff we've seen him do, and you realize he's been doing this like forever. I, I certainly the first time I watched it, I found that really depressing. The idea that he's mm. like, especially when it's like you see all the energy of like. He's running through the corridors and he's jumping out the windows and he's figuring it out. And you have the sense of like the futility of that, of like he's going through this infinitely and doesn't even realize that he's done it all before and he'll do it all again. Um, you know, it for me, it makes me feel like, oh, I don't know how to feel about that. Um, at least until, like you said, it gets further along and you start to see oh no, it's not actually pure repetition because he's getting further through the diamond wall and, and he's getting further in the story. You know, each time we get to the, the shepherd's boy, you know, the grim story, he gets a couple, he gets one extra word in that he didn't get the last time. So even though it's like, you know, infinitesimal and everything, you still get a sense of there's progress here. Um, But that yeah. d- but it takes a while like even as i was watching it you know the first time i felt very conflicted of how depressed am i supposed to be <laughs> you know and like sure and and i don't know which is you know we talk so much about memory and doctor who i don't know which is worse in this moment to be completely ignorant of your history or to know everything and to be completely overburdened by you know the magnitude of how long he's been here and everything. Um, yeah. And the, so there's definitely like, both are sort of existential, existential, you know, dilemmas, but I'm sort of, you know, torn between which I think is more horrific. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, that is, I mean, that's sort of one of those classical questions of, yeah, is it better, is it better to know, you know, and remember um, the things that you've been to or, you know, been through or to forget and potentially not be the same person, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, yeah. 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems weird to say that he remembers at that point because he does sort of have a new instance of himself. If anything, it would be, it seems to me more like that he can deduce mm -hmm. it, at least once, once you're seeing, you know, that there's some progress going in this wall. Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, when we first see it, I mean, he's been there for like, what, 7,000 years. Right. And there it's seems like to be barely like, a dent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no problem. So like, you know, just the fact that he, you know, continues to hit the same spot, but also sort of where, where I could see the, um, breakdown of sort of the the sadness or the you know the existential angst happening is the fact that like he repeatedly does the same exact thing mm -hmm. each time like there's no variation mm -hmm. there's no um you know and maybe it's you know maybe that's due in part to just the perfect sort of setup like you know whoever created it whether it's him or you know the Gallifreyans or whoever um whoever created it you know, create it in such a perfect way that, that it, it, you know, prompts him to run the same exact thing. There's no, like, there's no butterfly effect, right? There's no, like, you know, thing that's going, you know, little tiny minor change that's going to completely create a, an entirely different outcome, except like you said, the progress of his, uh, you know, escape through this wall, mm -hmm. which is, you know, glacial, mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, slower than glacial, um, even. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, so the interesting thing to think about, too, is, like, how long was he there before he first discovered Room 12 and was able to leave, like, the initial message that would lead him to it? Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. the, the first iteration of himself that got there, you know, didn't have the clues that mm -hmm. later iterations left for each other. So how long did it take for him to set those clues up? Like sure, how many, sure. how many other, uh, you know, iterations did he go through before that even happened? Yeah. And just, just thinking about, okay, so 7,000 years, um, you know, when he starts, I mean, that seems like a long time, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, when you start talking billions of years, that becomes crazy, but even 7,000 years, you know, times, you know, okay, let's assume, you know, 365 days, even though, you know, it might not be exact days. Like, let's just sure. assume he's using, like, Earth measurements mm -hmm. here. That's still, like, two and a half million days. Mm -hmm. So, you know, okay, so defy that, say, what we say by three, mm -hmm. that's still, you know, uh, like 850,000 skulls yeah. that are at the yeah. bottom of that, you know, ocean yeah you know that he dives down into like that's yeah that's so freaking lot no, and then, it, you know it, yeah. <laughs> it is uh, a matter of scale because the first time and it's just so well constructed in terms of when you realize the story and everything yeah because seven thousand seven thousand years sounds awful four million sounds hilarious like there's something about it's so big that you can't even, it does not compute anymore. And so what starts out again as feeling, you know, depressing and overwhelming and impossible, the further it goes on and the higher and more outrageous the number climbs, 
you do start to yeah. get into that thing of like, okay, he's going to do it. It's going to take a while, but like, it doesn't yeah. matter how long, well, you know, you, it, and for some reason, the the further it gets, the more my, maybe it's just the way it's edited. Um, the more you're kind of, you get more and more excited as it goes on. Um, sure. At least I did. Sure. No, I think that definitely. And it's like inversion to the way that the years actually go. And I think it's just because once you're in the billions, it's like, all right, we're in the realm of like satire now. Like <laughs> now it's just like, because you're realizing, okay, when he says I'm never, ever going to stop, he meant that literally. And it's, you know, it might take forever, but you know, he'll get there. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I mean, so just sticking with that 7,000 years initially, like when you think about it, that's like all of the recorded history of mankind right sure like like you know we don't we don't have like there there might be some like cave drawings that are older than that but they're not like yeah. you know the written actual word. yeah yeah written work and stuff yeah like it, you know it's not stuff that we know how to like interpret and, and use mm -hmm. so like you know basically the history of human civilization mm -hmm is shorter than that, you know, than where we see him starting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's day one of what we see. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And you can get into like, sort of, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, using his, you know, sort of epic scale of like the calendar, you know, in, in his cosmos series where he uses like the calendar and, you know, if, if this is, you know, on the cosmic scale, we're like, you know, the last second of, mm -hmm. you know, December 31st, right before New Year's, you know, <laughs> is where man comes in. Right, right. You know, yeah, um, yeah. and that's, you know, basically what the, the sort of timescales that the doctor is using. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, no, I, I definitely agree. Like the, the, as, I mean, I think part of it's, I mean, it's definitely the editing and the pace of it and, and, and seeing through there and you do get more and more excited. And as you see, you know, again, him making progress. And, and so going back to what I was saying before, like, I feel like that, like more so than like actual memory, because there's also the problem of like, like we get all of a shoulder of stuff about, you know, Oh, infinite life in a mortal mind. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I don't have the memory to, but like, does the doctor even have a memory that big? Like, we don't right. know because again, like the doctor is an exception among time lords. Right. Like, we don't know that any other Time Lord ha would have lived that long. So is he even capable of right. remembering all of those individual days? Um, right. Or like you said, is, more... he, is he deducing that from what he's gathered, yeah. that he realizes and, what's going on, even if he doesn't and, necessarily remember it all? And and kind of like what you were saying, like, is is that ultimately better or worse? Because like then you realize like knowing how hard this material is and how long it takes to get through it. And, you know, sort of even if like in that moment before the, um, uh, the veil gets him, mm -hmm. you know, like if he can do the math on that or, you know, anytime in the day and a half afterwards, as he's climbing the stairs, yeah. maybe he does the math. Like, does that actually lessen the horror of right. knowing like I've been at this for, you know, okay, I'm three feet in, you know, a punch a day equals, you know, <laughs> you know, how many years to get, yeah. you know, this far and all of that. Like, even if he can do that, like, 
the fact that you don't remember might even be just as horrible or even more horrible in some cases, you know, of not, of, you know, than, than actually remembering, you know, what it's like. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I'm like torn of like what I've like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like of what I want to say. I, and, and yeah, I don't know that like, I don't think there's an answer to that. I mean, I think that's part of the 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 quiz there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I did want to talk a little bit about the actual. So we get um the veil sort of stops with each confession, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting too, because like if if the goal is to get him to confess, then like why have a thing that will kill you? Like if if ultimately you want to hear what he has to say, why would why would the um, trigger for that be something that will kill you if you don't say it? Um, mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a torture expert. Maybe there's some logic behind that. Uh, See, and I think that's kind of a again. We don't know if this dial were functioning correctly. You know. Or, or according to design, we're not quite sure what it would do. Um, but the fact that you were kind of speculating about, okay, it, it injures him enough to sort of get him into the process of dying without actually killing him outright is, you know, why would that be? And, you know, it kind of seems to me that the, the repetitiveness is part of the idea of the confessions that we are going to, if if the torturers want an answer to something, then we're going to do this as many times, you know, as it takes to get a confession and a dead doctor is no use to us. So the kind of, you know, killing you outright plan doesn't uh, suit us is sort of would be my, you know, my guess. Again, I don't know, you know, if this, was uh, you know another time lord in another instance would the veil function similarly i i honestly don't know um but it seems like part of the kind of you know keep repeating until you know the the true confessions come out i guess um sure yeah maybe i i don't know i i don't really so um the other thing i wanted to mention too before we like leave the veil entirely is um you know just that kind of i i I kind of mentioned i think this episode would have paired very nicely with the body um as kind of a meditation on you know the direct aftermath of loss you know and grief and everything so you have but there's kind of a two-sided thing because you get the the as far as he's concerned for every one of these 4 billion days Clara has just died so the grief is very mm. near you know for the whole thing um you know so you get the lines about uh you know it's 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 not the day they die it's all the other days and not knowing what to do with yourself and you know uh having to sort of work through that. Um, and I think Moffat even said something about the doctor being 
trapped in the castle of grief. So it's a nice metaphor for like just the monotonous, repetitive nature of, you know, how you feel afterwards and everything. Um, sure. But also I wanted to mention with the veil, you know, from a more, I guess, like kind of symbolic level of, of it functioning as like death for the doctor as well, that, you know, it starts yeah. with the monologue about, you know, when you come into this world, something else is born and how it, it follows you your whole life until it finally catches you and how, you know, wherever you go, it follows, uh, you run, it walks, you, you will rest, it will not. So there's a sense of you're being chased by something your whole life. And the most you can do is sort of outrun it. And, you know, but you kind of, you know, can't outrun it forever. But then even with that, you know, the idea that it catches the doctor, but doesn't kill him, it seems to me appropriate for the Time Lord because Time Lords, at least for a while, don't die, they regenerate. Um, mm -hmm. And again, I like the way that the, this functions as a, another metaphor for that of, um, he has the line about how many times can I do this? Keep burning the old me to make a new one. And that sounds like regeneration to me. Um, sure. You know, and that being, you know, I want to make a connection to Buffy about death being a gift. There's a sense in which the regeneration is, is a burden here of like this endless repetition of, I keep having to live and die and be born again and live and die and be born again infinitely. And can't I just, you know, he keeps asking, can't I just sleep and give it up and, um, you know, let this one go and everything. Um, which he doesn't, but there's that's a tempting idea, at least occasionally. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. So sorry, <laughs> I kind of got us away again there. Um, no, that's all right. Um, I wanted to bring up the actual confessions mm -hmm. um, that he has. Um, or the truths that he tells, because um, I don't know how much they're actual confessions. Although um, I did want to mention too that um, at one point he talks about it, you know, potentially being hell. Mm -hmm. um, but it feels a lot more. And, and you're talking about like the day after day of grief. Mm -hmm. um, given that there is sort of a happy ending, um, it does feel more of like a purgatory. Mm -hmm. movie, though. Sure. Um, that it's you know that it's his way of uh burning through the grief mm -hmm. or you know uh, uh atoning for his sins perhaps right, right. um you know uh with the intent of at some point he will get out and get beyond we just you know it might take a really long time yeah, which is sort yeah. of what purgatory is right, um right. at least in sort of the classical conception of it yeah um <laughs> It, I'm not afraid of hell. It's just heaven for bad people. Um, yeah, right. That doesn't have quite the the same sense as um, happy for deep people or whatever. No, not um, not quite. Um, but yeah, the uh, no, it did have that more sort of um, purgatory feel to it, yeah, and that yeah. that you, you almost uh, it, you know it's it's not unlike. Uh, 
Sisyphus, um, although mm -hmm. I guess he, he wasn't purgatory, he was, you know, Hades or whatever. Yeah. But, um, you know, right. that well, idea all of, those, like, all those the, Greek, the repeated tasks. All the Greek hells are repetitive that way. It's like you, yeah. you can't ever reach the food in the water or you can't ever get the stone up. You know, they're always, like, infinite repetitions of the same mundane chore that, you know, never gets fulfilled. Yeah. yeah, with the, yeah, and this one, it feels that way at first, but, you know, in the end you realize there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, his confessions. Um, so his, so the first one, of course, is that he's afraid. He's mm -hmm. afraid to die. Um, which seems like not that odd of a confession per se mm -hmm. but you know i i don't know that we've ever heard him say that before explicitly so um you know this is the thing that uh you know uh well even like you were talking before about you know tolkien and sort of immortality and whatever um this is sort of a different twist on it right it's it's not that he wishes he could die it's that he's afraid Mm -hmm. to die yeah. that he doesn't know what will happen um as is true of anybody but you know the fact that he keeps going is is part of that uh yeah reason it seems that he just he doesn't want to die so he doesn't he keeps not dying mm -hmm. um you know uh rule one of dying don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know rule two slow down yeah. uh and so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on that. But, um, sure. you know, that seems to be enough, at least initially, to stop the veil. And um, and also that he says, I just realize that I'm actually scared of dying. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, now in this moment where I could actually die. Although I... I mean, the assumption is that this thing is going to kill him, mm -hmm. clearly. But, like, don't necessarily know that it's going to kill Like, it's not necessarily the first time he's faced death. Right, right. Um, But it seems like the first time, maybe, to him that he actually believes he could die. Mm. Like, even those other times, maybe there was still something in there that... And given the fact that he has actually escaped death many, many times, mm -hmm. um, you know, that maybe he never... It never was a true belief to him. So now this is... You know, it's fear because it actually could happen. Right, this time. right, right. Yeah, or he never... Maybe in the moments where it could have happened, he never stopped long enough to really ponder, you know, in the moment, had time to actually contemplate what that would mean and how he might feel about it. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess what's interesting about the confessions is the way they kind of build on each other, that they all kind of, you know, one leads to the other. So we start with kind of, you know, he's, uh, yes, he's afraid of dying specifically, but he talks about just fear, being afraid. And then the next one being about fear being the motivator of why he left Gallifrey, that it wasn't because of boredom. It was because of fear. 
Um, sure. Yeah, and I mean, right, there's that sense of uh, we've gotten allusions to it. And of course, I've never seen Classic Who or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know how well it meshes up maybe with, you know, those early stories or whatever. But um, yeah, we've gotten allusions to it, even even with Clara, um, mm-hmm. about... Uh, you know, his, his leaving the, you know, Gallifrey and to sort of go on these adventures or whatever. Um, and now in sort of typical Doctor Who retcon style, uh, <laughs> we, we learned that that's not the case at all, that he's, he was afraid. What was he afraid of? Why, you yeah. know, he doesn't, he doesn't say then, um, but he talks about, uh, the hybrid mm. is sort of the third, aspect right yeah. um he says uh you know he talks about uh there were many prophecies and stories legends one of them was about a creature called the hybrid half dalek half time lord the ultimate warrior but whose side would it be on would it be peace or destruction was it real or a fantasy i confess he says in his confession dial mm-hmm. uh, i know that the i know the hybrid is real i know where it is and what it is i confess i'm afraid um so all three of these are you know about fear uh this one being fear of the hybrid Mm -hmm. and he doesn't state it explicitly but you know given sort of the progression of these fears that he's expressing it seems to be tied to the fact of his death Mm -hmm. you know which is the first one and then his leaving Gallifrey Mm -hmm. which is the second one and now this fear of the hybrid like all three of these things seem to be Mm -hmm. tied together that that somehow the hybrid and Gallifrey and his death are sort of intertwined. Mm. Um, or at least he fears that they're intertwined. Right. Um, right. Uh, and, and whatever the case that may be. Yeah. Um, so there's also, uh, uh, you know, the fact that in a way the third, the fourth confession is uh his breaking through that you know wall right so it's it's when he gets to the end and it sort of crumbles at the end Mm. um it's like you know uh well this is what clara sort of tells him right get over it beat it break free Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. this is him beating it breaking free and it shines light in and that's when you see the veil fall apart and you know become like you know it's revealing that yeah. That this too was like part of the puzzle and clockwork yeah, and everything. Yeah. Um, and it also allows him to step out and see what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, whether he had figured, like if he figured it out before that, we don't know about it. Right. Like right, this right. is, this is the revelation both to him and to us as the viewers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is where he reveals it. Um, or well, I guess, I guess he, sorry, I sort of skipped through the other stuff where he talks about 
keeping the hybrid a secret, right? He says the hybrid is a dangerous secret, a very dangerous secret, and it needs to be kept. Um, so I'm telling you nothing. And that's where we get him, you know, we first see him sort of punching the wall and he talks about the Brothers Grimm and, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. Um, but when he steps through, we get sort of the last confession, right? Um, he tells he tells this boy to go, you know, find someone important and tell him he's coming. Um, and then he says, you know, you can probably still hear me to whoever he's, you know, has been listening to his whoever confessions. Whoever might be listening, yeah. You know, uh, up until now. He says, you can probably still hear me. So just between ourselves, you've got the prophecy wrong. The hybrid is not half Dalek. Nothing is half Dalek, except we've seen half Dalek, half human before. Um, sure. But we'll ignore that. Yeah. Uh, the Daleks would never allow that. The hybrid destined to conquer Gallifrey and stand in its ruins is me. So this is this is his sort of final ultimate confession, I guess. Yeah. Right. This is what it's been building up to. And so, you know, again, you know, thinking of his previous confessions, like, you know, he's scared to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was scared, so he left Gallifrey. But then, you know, so this, you know, again, this becomes like the question about what is Buffy's gift? Is it given to her or is it, you know, something she gives Mm -hmm. uh did he flee gallifrey because he was afraid of what might happen to him or did he flee gallifrey because he was afraid of what he might do Mm. um here he's talking about standing in gallifrey's ruins so it very easily could be the latter right you know that that he would be afraid of what he might do if he were to come back to gallifrey Mm -hmm. um and and you know then you know, the fear of this hybrid. Well, we already know, like he's already talked about being afraid and, and hating himself and, you know, uh, being afraid of things that he can do or maybe would do in certain circumstances, that kind of thing. Like, it's not like, I feel like the internal turmoil of the doctor is sort of old ground in a way. Sure. Um, Sure. Although this is, you know, a new sort of way to approach it. Um, so, yeah, all of those, all of those things, sort of leading up to this last, you know, confession, um, is is, you know, sort of interesting there. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I want to point out too, in yeah. one of the, I can't remember if it was episode one or episode two of this season, but in one of the first episodes with uh, Davros, when they first bring up the idea of the hybrid. Um, he speculates something about about this very thing. He doesn't say, you know, Doctor, are you the hybrid? But he does kind of say, you know, is 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 that why you ran was because of your part in the coming of the hybrid. So, you know, there were sort of hints of, you know, just want to kind of point out there were hints of that idea beforehand. Um, but like you said, this is kind of, the ultimate confession, I guess, of the doctors at the end. Um, so. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so what haven't we... So yeah, now we're, we're after a couple seasons of knowing that Gallifrey is out there. Um, 
we're back finally. Um, he's back and he's pissed. And, uh, you know, there's the little callback, ironic callback when he says, like, if they ask who it is, tell them I came the long way. And, you know, the callback to the very different tone of that in the day of the doctor, that that's how Matt Smith's doctor, after he saves Gallifrey, sort of ends is I'm going home the long way around. And it's like, uh, boy, did he ever, you know? Um, sure. And he didn't quite mean it like this, but it is the kind of fulfillment of that idea, that prediction, um, that he would get there eventually, even though it might take him a while. Um, yeah. And it did. It, it sure did. Um, but, you know, again, um, you know, when talking time travel, it's always a subjective thing. But this seems even more so. Like, again, yeah. we don't know, like, has that confession dial literally been laying there for, you know, four billion years or right, whatever? Right. Um, or is it just that, like, it feels like him to have been right. that long? Because right. if 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 it's bigger on the inside, you know, bigger dimensions of space on the inside mm -hmm. you know does it also is it sort of like also its own little universe that holds its own sort of separate time right schedule right um, right yeah so, it's like yeah. um black mirror have you seen that show black mirror no. um it's, it's a british show it's on netflix now um sort of like a Twilight Zone, where it's like anthology, like each episode is different, but they're all kind of sci-fi dystopias in the kind of near future. Um, and it's terrifying. Like, it's like one of the mm. like bleakest things I've ever seen. Um, but in the most recent, they just put like a Christmas special up um, with John Hamm. And there's like a, you know, there's a lot of different aspects to it. But one is, you know, people who download little computer versions of themselves into their technology so that it can, you know, cook and clean and like run the automated house for them. But, you know, but that person's consciousness is actually inside the device as well. And in order to get the people to comply with this, um, you know, John Hamm kind of will fast forward what is only a minute for him, but is, you know, a hundred years for them. So, you know, if they refuse to do work, he'll just fast forward them a couple seconds and they're in solitary confinement for like millennia. Um, but it's only, you know, a few seconds in his subjective time. So anyway, it sort of reminds me, potentially it could be that kind of thing of maybe the, the, time, the confession dial hasn't really been sitting there for billions of years. Um, Maybe that's just the doctor's sort of perception of it. Um, but anyway, for him, what's the difference? You know, it's sort of like your subjective experience is your real experience. And, you know, um, whether it's actually four billion years or only feels like it, you know, mm. does that really make a difference from his point of view? I'm not sure that it does. Um, sure. but yeah, um, all right, what else 
there anything else that we didn't cover? I mean, so we're kind of ending here on a uh, cliffhanger of sorts, I guess, because mm -hmm. we know something's going to happen next. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just not sure what. what? Um, yeah. Or even like what makes the doctor the hybrid, uh -huh. um, so to speak. Like what, what does that mean? We've been thinking all along that it's part Dalek, part Time Lord, but you know now we learn that it's him. So what does that say about him? Right, right. <laughs> um, is there, is there, you know, something else? Um, although not that like we haven't had comparisons of the doctor to Daleks before, but um, you know, we don't know. We don't really know what's going on there, but yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have anything else to say other than I'm just sort of looking forward to the last uh last part of this three-parter here yeah um, um yeah i guess one quick la last thing before we close is um i want to point out the for me very happy use of the brothers grim um because i've been thinking a lot about fairy tales in relation to doctor who and so i felt like this was a nice little gift from Mr. Moffat, um, to me personally. Um, but if anybody doesn't know it, they should look up the story is the shepherd boy. Um, you know, and I think that's a nice kind of fairy tale metaphor, this use of, you know, it, it, it's not, there's not much of a story to it. It's really just this dialogue between a king and a shepherd's boy, um, about how many seconds are there in eternity and there's a lot of different scenarios, but the one that they use here is, you know, that if a bird comes and sharpens its beak once every hundred years in the time that it takes for the mountain to be worn away, that's one second in eternity. And that's kind of to give you this, the scale of how mm -hmm. long eternity is. Um, and, but, you know, again, in classic doctor fashion, he, you know, kind of cheekily, boils it down to his punchline, which takes him millions of years to get to of, you know, you might think that's a hell of a long time. Personally, I think that's a hell of a bird. So, you know, this idea of don't think about how long it is. Think about how impressive the bird is that it actually will wear the mountain away given enough time. So, um, I just thought that was a nice little reference to the kind of fairy tale roots of the, story and everything sure cool well we will be back again next week with some more doctor who and talking about the finale and uh we'll be back with some more angel all right see you then mm -hmm.